Hi, welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 41, How Will They Know? All right, so I am really excited for this week because my goal for this week is to give you some encouragement regarding your responsibility to teach your children and or the children that you have some stewardship over. And the reason I'm excited to give you some encouragement is because I think a lot of times this particular topic brings up a lot of feelings of guilt and shame. Now, we know guilt has a place with Heavenly Father. Guilt is very helpful for us. It's a motivator. But shame, not so much. So what I want to talk about is how to balance that guilt that we have when we're really not giving our best effort with some compassion for ourselves and also accepting the forgiveness that the Lord gives us when we're not perfect. So a lot of what I'm going to say today is going to be directed more toward parents, and that's kind of how I'm going to be talking. But those of you who are listening who are not parents, you still have children or youth within your stewardship in whatever way, maybe you're an aunt, maybe you're a teacher, maybe in your job you have some influence over kids. I don't know. We all have some responsibility toward the youth of this generation. And I really, really believe that raising children truly, as we always hear, takes a village. I love and I need all of the supporting people in my life who help me raise my children. And they play a vital role in teaching them through word and example. I think if it were just me preaching to them and there wasn't those supporting roles around them and supporting people around them, helping them fill in the gaps where I lack maybe or just supporting what I'm saying, it wouldn't be nearly as effective. So we are all essential in helping the rising generation and teaching them the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, before we get too far into this, let's go over some light context for these sections. We talked about the context of section 67 at the very beginning when we started the Doctrine and Covenants. This section was given after there had been some concern brought to Joseph about what we now call section one, which is the preface to the Doctrine and Covenants. So section one was actually written and revealed at this point in history, even though we read about it at the very beginning and we read it as we read the Doctrine and Covenants, that's the, that's the very first section that we read. So section one is given as a preface to the Doctrine and Covenants. And because of Joseph's lack of eloquence in speaking and in writing and education, they were concerned that it wasn't good enough, which is interesting because if you believe what we believe, you're essentially criticizing the Lord. So there's that for you. I think about it this way. I think that most of us have experienced listening to a priesthood blessing or a patriarchal blessing and hearing some of the verbiage and mannerisms and maybe even weaknesses in the skill come through some of those spiritual experiences. One thing that I always think about in my own life in this topic is kind of a funny one and has nothing to do with his skill or his education, like how they were talking about Joseph. So my father-in-law had and is still having a Lord of the Rings phase. Now, I am completely on board with this phase because I love Lord of the Rings. But he did give some blessings where some of the Lord of the Rings phrases found their way into some of the blessings that he gave. And his kids just love to giggle about that. And at the time, it is um, a little entertaining because you recognize it from the Lord of the Rings. And I think this is just such a perfect example of 
illustrating that the Lord is working through the minds of mortals with life experience, with learned speech habits, and that's bound to find its way out. So when I listen to the history and they're talking about how section one wasn't eloquent enough and that Joseph's education and um, poor public speaking was sneaking its way into there, that doesn't seem odd to me. Even Mormon in the Book of Mormon, in chapter 8, verse 17, he said, And if there be faults, they be the faults of a man. But behold, we know no fault. Nevertheless, God knoweth all things. So when Joseph brought their concerns about section 1 to the Lord, basically the Lord replied saying, Go ahead, try and outdo me. Pick your smartest, most well-educated man and try and write a better preface. And they did. And afterward, after their, their best attempt was made, they all unanimously agreed that they absolutely could not write a better preface than the Lord had written through Joseph Smith. So next, section 68 is talking to four elders who had come to Joseph Smith wanting to know the will of the Lord for them. This section gives us the model that we work with today as to how missionary work should be conducted. I especially love in verse 6, which says, Wherefore be of good cheer. And do not fear, for I, the Lord, am with you and will stand by you. And you shall be a record of me, even Jesus Christ, that I am the Son of the living God, that I was, that I am, and that I am to come. That sums it up pretty well. That is what we are called to testify of. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he was, is, and am to come. So that brings me to the part that I want to focus on today. In section 68, starting in verse 25, the Lord speaks to the responsibilities of parents to teach their children the doctrine of repentance, faith, baptism, prayer, Sabbath day observance, and a strong work ethic for the Lord. And might I add, when it's talking about missionary work, because teaching our children is also missionary work, is also gathering Israel that we are to teach him that Jesus Christ was, am, and is to come. Let's start reading in verse 25. And again, inasmuch as parents have children in Zion or any of her stakes, which are organized, that teach them not to understand the doctrine of repentance, faith in Christ, the Son of the living God, and of baptism and the gift of the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands. When eight years old, the sin be on the head of the parents. For this shall be law unto the inhabitants of Zion, or any of her stakes which are organized, and their children shall be baptized for the remission of their sins when eight years old, and receive the laying on of hands. And they shall also teach their children to pray, and to walk uprightly before the Lord. And the inhabitants of Zion shall also observe the Sabbath day, and keep it holy. And the inhabitants of Zion shall also remember their labors, inasmuch as they are appointed to labor in all faithfulness, for the idler shall be had in remembrance before the Lord. Now I, the Lord, am not well pleased with the inhabitants of Zion, for there are idlers among them, and their children are also growing up in wickedness. They seek not earnestly the riches of eternity, but their eyes are full of greediness. Man, so this is the point where a lot of people start to shut down. What thoughts do you have going on in your head right now as you listen to that? Maybe they don't, but I have found that often the thoughts going on in people's heads sound a lot like this. I'm not doing a good enough job. I'm not qualified. I'm failing my children. I can't do it all. I'm not righteous enough. I'm not being a good example. I don't have time. 
I could keep going. There's a million different things that might be going on in your head or in the head of people that you've heard talk about this. When we reach a topic that is so important, so central to what many of us feel are the purpose of our lives, our children, teaching our children, raising our children, our natural tendency is to doubt and criticize and devalue our efficacy as parents. That is the perfect combination that Satan looks for. He wants to pinpoint the thing that is most important to you, that is also dependent on your ability to get the job done. And think about how much more tricky that is when, quote, getting the job done doesn't even have an exact result. Every single one of our children are going to turn out differently. They're going to make different choices. They have their own agency. So you, in this job that's so important to you, even if you do it perfectly, your result might not end up looking like you thought it was going to. You could do everything right and it still might turn out what you feel like in your mind is a wrong result. Think about Heavenly Father. He is literally the perfect parent. And yet, because we all have agency, not all of us are going to make it back. Some of us are going to make awful, terrible choices. And yet he was still a perfect parent. So my point in all of this is just to remind you that this is a tricky, tricky subject because this calling, this job as a parent is going to look different for every single person and it's going to yield different results for every single child. However, luckily for us, we've been given a pretty awesome plan for the best way to parent a child. We've been given the example of our Heavenly Father. We've been given the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've been given some pretty awesome guidance in just this section. So what do we know about our relationship as a parent to our children? We know that they were sent here to us and entrusted to us by the Lord. And a lot of who they turn out to be has to do, is related with how effectively we do as the Lord has asked us to do as their parents. So no pressure, right? <laughs> no wonder Satan wants to undermine our motivation and our self-confidence by telling us that we can't do it. It's too hard and that we're failing. Now, I've also found that I've heard a lot of people shy away and try to sugarcoat some things that the Lord says in sections like this, where he gives us some pretty tough, firm counsel saying, you must do this thing. So I've heard people sugarcoat it so that we can feel better about ourselves. We sugarcoat the words of the Lord so that we can be coddled into some emotional comfort. But we know exactly what the Lord has to say about that. He said, actually, in section one that we talked about a minute ago, he says, what I, the Lord, have spoken, I have spoken and I excuse not myself. So when we're talking about these sections, yes, we need to remember the atonement and forgiveness and grace. But we do not need to sugarcoat the words of the Lord because he excuses not himself. All right. So what I'm going to tell you next is probably not what you are expecting me to say. You are not enough. You cannot do it on your own. By yourself, you are absolutely inadequate. But that is okay. That was always the plan, and it is complete and perfect. Why? Because of the doctrine that is taught in this section, 
Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, was born, lived, died, rose again, literally lives today, and will come again. Why does this matter in this context? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that our inadequacies in life and in parenting, our efforts can be made whole. Now let's talk about a key word in that phrase that I just said. Our efforts can be made whole. I am not saying that our efforts will be made whole. Can implies that it is possible. So what are the qualifiers there? We do actually have to try. Effort has to be present. Forgiveness for our weaknesses actually has to be sought. Help from the Lord has to be asked for. So when I say to myself, my efforts can be made whole, I am not trying to tell myself that whatever I am doing, no matter how inadequate my effort, will be made whole. When I say these things to myself, I am saying that if I am continually trying, repenting, and seeking guidance from the Spirit as I go, then my efforts will be enough. For you individually, I can't tell you exactly what an adequate effort looks like, and neither can anyone else. Everyone has different circumstances, different life experiences, different levels of spiritual maturity, different mental health struggles, different phases of life, times when your plate is extra full. There is no one description of what anyone's best effort looks like. I can't judge what your best effort looks like, and you can't judge the best effort of others. Only the Savior knows perfectly, not even yourself, only the Savior knows perfectly what your best effort is, which is why we need to continually seek his help when discerning for ourselves if we are doing what we can and maintaining a repentant heart. I think that's one of the reasons that President Nelson has pleaded with us to get more in tune with the Spirit so that we can receive personal revelation. We don't just need personal revelation to know what the next step in our life is or whatever, or understand the doctrines of the church. We also need personal revelation so that we can be in tune with the Spirit enough to know if what we are doing is right, if what our efforts look like right now is something that He is satisfied with. And that's where things get tricky. Shame, like I talked about at the beginning, that is corrosive and that is not from God. I know that I've had times in my life where I have truly felt forgiven by the Lord for mistakes that I have made, but then I allow myself to still carry around that guilt and shame, even when I know that I should be able to let it go. I try to remember when I feel myself carrying around those feelings that I already should have let the Lord take from me, that at that point, those feelings are not helpful for me, nor is it showing true belief in the healing effect of the atonement of Jesus Christ. I am not believing what he is telling me, which is that I am forgiven and that I can let it go. So if you as a parent feel shame because you feel like you haven't done a good job teaching your children or doing the things that you're supposed to or doing come follow me, sincerely ask for forgiveness, receive it and let it go because it is not serving you. If you don't let it go, you won't get anywhere near the progression as a person or as a parent, as you would have if you had truly given that sin and that guilt and that shame completely over to the Lord and trusted when forgiveness was given. So all of that being said, 
Let's now focus on what the scripture in this section actually says. Verse 25, And again, inasmuch as parents have children in Zion, or in any of her stakes which are organized, that teach them not to understand the doctrine of repentance, faith in Christ, the Son of the living God, and of baptism and the gift of the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands, when eight years old, the sin be upon the head of the parents. So what are the ways that we should go about doing this? Now, obviously, this is where we get the the doctrine about our children being baptized at eight. But what are the ways that we should go about actually doing this, getting them ready for baptism and continuing to teach them afterward to teach them the doctrine of repentance, faith, baptism, the Holy Ghost? First and foremost, David O. McKay said, if you would teach faith in God, show faith in him yourself. If you would teach prayer, pray yourself. If you would have them temperate, then you yourself refrain from intemperance. If you would have a child live a life of virtue, self-control, and good report, then set him a worthy example in all these things. This quote made me think of the saying, Children are great imitators, so give them something great to imitate. So secondly, in how we should go about doing this, if I can borrow a phrase that we all know, just do it. Another one of my favorite sayings is, Don't let perfection be the enemy of good. How do you think that Lehi and Sariah taught their children? How do you think that Abraham taught his? Do you think that they had Pinterest perfect lessons? I don't think so. Actually, I know so. Definitely not Pinterest perfect. But I think for the most part, the scriptures, the gospel, were a part of their everyday lives. I think that for the most part, they studied the scriptures together and talked about it. I know that I've talked about this before, but I think since I do this podcast, as you're listening, probably it would be natural for most of you to assume that I have it all together and I have lessons planned for my family and I'm super organized. I don't and I'm not. I am not a terribly organized person, nor am I super on top of things. But you know how I make sure it gets done imperfectly? (laughs) I prepare this podcast One of my qualities about myself, it's not my favorite quality, but I do better when I am accountable to other people. So being accountable to those of you who are listening helps me make sure that I am studying each week. And then I am prepared at any time to open up the scriptures with my children and talk to them. I don't have an elaborate plan. I often don't have a fun, kid-friendly activity to go along with it. I keep it fairly short. And in doing all of that, Like I know a lot of you feel, I often feel like I'm at the end of my rope. And even right now, as I'm writing my notes for this, I have my youngest laying on my lap after I played with her for hours. I always think that's the hardest part. It's like, I paid attention to you and played with you for so long and you're still wanting more attention. (laughs) And so as I'm writing my notes, here she is on my lap. (laughs) The comfort comes in knowing that the Lord knows I'm trying. I know he knows I'm trying. He also knows that I'm not doing it perfectly. But I feel him supporting me because my effort is there. My effort is at the maturity level that I am right now. And so I think it'll just continue to get better. Actually, I know it will continue to get better. But for me right now, I know that my effort level is better than it was yesterday. And it's continuing to move upward in that trajectory. 
And I'm excited to see how much better I get as my kids get older. And I'm excited that I'm starting it now rather than just sitting stagnant and allowing myself to just be frustrated with myself because I'm not perfect at it yet. Don't allow perfection to be the enemy of good. That is my life motto. I will not stop trying just because I can't do it perfectly right now. Because I am showing up, he shows up. All right, so in order for us not to be held accountable for a lack of effort, we need to actually show up. In verse 31, it says, Now I, the Lord, am not well pleased with the inhabitants of Zion, for there are idlers among them, and their children are growing up in wickedness. They also seek not earnestly the riches of eternity, but their eyes are full of greediness. So ask yourself the questions that only you and the Lord could answer about yourself. Are you guilty of idleness? Do you not have time or are you squandering your time? Are you seeking in your life earnestly for the riches of eternity? Or are you more focused on the riches of now? If we aren't relying on the Lord for his compensatory help, we will fail in all of these categories. So let's remember our why. First and foremost, our why should always be that we want to love, obey, and serve the Lord who has commanded us to teach our children. And secondly, Neil L. Anderson reminds us, let us remember that those who sit in your classrooms, and might I say your home, those children in your home, are some of the most spiritually sensitive sons and daughters of God that have ever entered mortality. I like these words from President George Q. Cannon, who served in the First Presidency. God has reserved spirits for this dispensation who have the courage and determination to face the world and all the powers of the evil one, visible and invisible, to proclaim the gospel and maintain the truth and establish and build up the Zion of our God, fearless of all consequences. He has sent these spirits in this generation to lay the foundation of Zion, never more to be overthrown to raise up a seed that will be righteous, that will honor God and honor him supremely and be obedient to him under all circumstances. These young men and women in your classes, in your home, are these spirits. They are the hope of the future. I want to end with the lyrics from a song that can be found in the children's songbook. It's called How Will They Know by Natalie W. Sleaf. How will they know, the ones for whom we care, that God is love and with us everywhere, that life is good with blessings all can share? How will they know unless we teach them so? How will they learn that though they go astray, God will forgive and help them find the way? How will they feel the Spirit day by day? How will they know unless we teach them so? How will they grow in wisdom and delight? How will they choose to follow what is right? How can they trust the future will be bright? How will they know unless we show them? How will they live when they at last are grown? What will they give to children of their own? Will they reflect the values we have shown? How will they know as on through life they go? How will they know unless we strive to teach them so? I bear my testimony that teaching your children is God's work. He has given you all the tools you need 
including his help, love, and support that he wants you to use. Through him, with him, and only with him, you are enough. You are exactly who your children need. Do not let the enemy tell you different. Let go of any shame and guilt that you might be hanging on to that is holding you back. Allow yourself to accept forgiveness from the Lord and move forward and keep getting better because there is fulfillment, there is happiness, and there is joy to be had from this amazing commandment that we've been given to teach our children of Jesus Christ. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.